Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another special episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. BetOnline is you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So what are you waiting for? Head to the website right now, betonline.e. Use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That is only a bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming into the pod. It is another edition of Bracketology, a very special one because today's category is perhaps one of my favorite categories of all time. It is Michael Jordan eras. We have eight strong seeds lined up tournament style, and today we will crown a champion. Creator and resident guest, Hoop Sancho, in today's reference for today's events it is mike joy mike tell us how we're gonna play well joey first of all it's crazy to think that it's been almost 20 years since michael jordan retired in 2003 so the fact that he's still as relevant today uh both in sports and pop culture as he ever was that, that's really amazing and you know we do have a couple of anniversaries uh it was recently the last dances finale one year anniversary. Uh, it was May 18th. And then um, this upcoming July, it's the 25th anniversary of Space Jam. So, I mean, what better way to bring it back to our sports roots than to dedicate a bracket to Michael Jordan? Space Jam, the pinnacle of Michael Jordan's career. Fight me on it now, but no, that's <laughs> what we're here to do today. So let's bring in our wonderful guest panel. We're so excited to have both of them on. First, let's bring him on. He's a filmmaker and also the documentary uh, director of the film Meeting Michael. It's Adam Contras. Hello, Adam. Hello. Happy to be here, man. Super happy to have you as well. Up again, next on our next part of the panel, filmmaker and Emmy-nominated editor of ESPN's The Last Dance. Have you heard of it? I think we have. It's Abai Sofsky. Hello, Abai. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on that little piece of work, my friend. I haven't watched that five or 6,000 times. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, before Mike gets into our seeds, I just got to tell you, this thing is amazing. We're going to do the best we can to not make it three hours because I talked about that in the pre-pod. I could talk about this all day long, but let's just get into it, Mike. It is time to unveil our top eight seeds of Michael Jordan eras, and then we are going to begin our tournament to crown a champion. So first of all, this is obviously an abstract thought experiment since unlike our previous episodes, right, Joey, uh, we are literally judging installments of one person's life. So there's going to be a lot of overlap between the various eras that represent Michael's life and career. But with that being said, here is our bracket and seeds based on the combined scores that the four of us independently ranked prior to the record. So our number eight seed is the University of North Carolina, Jordan. Our number seven seed is the Washington Wizards, Jordan. Our number six seed is retirement era Jordan, which covers anything he accomplished after he hung up his sneakers. Our number five seed is media mogul Jordan. Now this pertains to Michael's off-court endeavors and pop culture significance. Our number four seed is the Olympic era Jordan. Our number three seed is rookie Jordan, but this era also includes anything that Michael accomplished on the court prior to winning a championship. Our number two seed is Michael's second three-peat era, and our number one seed is the first three-peat era of Michael Jordan's career. So with that, I'm going to throw it back over to you, Joey. The seeds are in. The tournament is set. The ball is up in the air. It is time to get it going, ladies and gentlemen. What better way to start than the number one seed, the first three-peat versus the number eight seed, UNC Michael Jordan. Gentlemen, we're going to just start here where, you know, this looks like this could be a little bit of a David versus Goliath situation because I don't think anyone ever in my life has said, you know, Michael Jordan after college, it was all downhill from there. You do know that, right? I don't think anyone's going to be guilty of saying that. But let's just start right here. Abai, let's just start with you, my friend. When you think of UNC Jordan, 
you know, what do you think about? And uh, let's just get this roundtable started of this eight seed versus the number one seed. Okay, I have to start by saying I am a diehard Knicks fan. I got my New York <laughs> Knicks jersey on. So I might throw some wrenches into this, uh, this bracket. I'm definitely the only person on this podcast who hated Michael Jordan for decades. So consider this when I, when I, get, when I give my, uh, my answers. Um, UNC Jordan, I, I do admire UNC Jordan. I like, uh, I like the fact, and I like his respect and admiration for Dean Smith. You know, I like that. It feels like the best players love to be coached. And to this day, he has nothing but nice things to say about Dean Smith. He loves him. So um, I like UNC Jordan. As someone who, who doesn't like a lot of Jordan eras, I like that. Yeah, I mean, obviously a great program, legendary program, legendary coach, legendary player. Adam, let's throw it to you real quick where what's so fascinating, what makes Michael Jordan so singular is a lot of times you try and find of, well, where does the story begin? Where does the greatness and the legend begin? It starts for Michael Jordan pretty much the very first second that he gets into the public eye, and that is a pretty special beginning. Just talk about uh, Michael Jordan and UNC and what you remember and how you kind of relate to his career and how what you think of him from UNC. There are similarities with uh, when he won his first championship in the NBA and the shot at UNC. And, and it's that there were these two moments when he was doubted that the second he did that, the rest of his life changed. And I think that's what we think of when we think of the you know, UNC Michael is that until that ball went through that hoop, <laughs> right who was he and then what was he after and it's such a boom and then, i mean it's and same with with the first uh, nba championship who was he before that he couldn't win he could he's great but he and then boom he became they they were page turner moments that just completely shifted that's why there's eight versions of him in this bracket right that shot was what turned the page and made it even possible and what's even more fun, so my wife was making the graphics for the, this episode when we release it, and, you know, and she's like, well, what should I be looking up? And I at one point just kind of threw out her, you know, for 98 Jordan, I was like, hey, just look up the shot, you know, shot. Oh, like, oh, yeah. oh yeah. Oh, there's there's four of them. <laughs> yeah, this is and this is the <laughs> one. This is the first one of a franchise that get, then gets launched. It's like in Hollywood when all of a sudden. Jordan makes a shot against UNC and then everyone in Hollywood's like, eh, we should make more of these for the next 20 years. And yeah, his and they kind did. Of, yeah. And they did Mike hop in there, my friend, because I know you got some stats. You did a little stat work on UNC here. It might I be time. To somebody yeah. Well, here's the thing. Even before we kind of get into UNC Jordan, I, I definitely want to talk about Michael's like high school career. Right. Cause like, Forever, there's kind of been this this urban myth that like, oh, he got cut from the high school team. And, you know, no, no, no. The truth is, yes, as a sophomore, he got cut from the varsity team, but he still was placed on the junior varsity team. So, I mean, making JV as a sophomore, especially at that that age, that that time frame when like there wasn't AAU basketball, there wasn't these traveling teams, there wasn't kind of these prep breakings. I mean, that was a pretty big accomplishment. And, you know, in doing the research, you know, he probably shouldn't have made the team. They had 11 returning seniors. Uh, at that point in his life, he was only 5'9". And of those returning seniors, eight of them were guards. And, you know, he famously ragged on, uh, I think his name was Leon Smith, that got picked over him. Like, Leon Smith was 6'9 as a sophomore. And here's the thing about Leon Smith. Like, he... Uh, he he played college. He played professionally in Europe. So that wasn't like an oversight. That wasn't like a bad selection. So, you know, first of all, we have to talk about that. But then come Michael's senior year, I did not realize this, but Michael averaged a triple-double 
his senior year in high school. So that's pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, you know, you guys both nailed it. The idea that like all legends have to begin somewhere. Um, and that UNC shot was the beginning of a legend. And here's the thing. I mean, I don't think it would be the case for Michael Jordan uh, as what we have now learned about his psyche for both good and bad. But, you know, for a lot of players, had he missed that shot, his, you know, it could have been this like sliding doors thing where like, who knows what would have happened to his career, his psyche, or at least for other players, their psyche, had they missed that shot. What we know of Michael, it probably would have only driven him even harder, right? Um, and finally, I just think of iconic things. Like when when we think of like iconic Jordan, like a lot of times it's that 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 rookie Jordan kind of in, in his like, still with the hair, you know, with the necklace, the, the Chicago in cursive on the jersey. But I think almost iconic as that is Michael in that Tar Heel blue. Like anytime you see Michael in his Tar Heel blue, that's like, that's a cool picture. That's a cool shot. Adam, hop back in. You were saying, what if somebody had missed that shot, right? Well, how many people have made those shots? And that's all we ever heard from him, you know? So he made that shot and was given this opportunity to have all this press to become something and then he lived up to it. And I think that's, that, that is what, it, what UNC Jordan means to me the most, which is taking an opportunity, making it, and then just pushing it beyond what anybody had done. And he did that every, all these steps in his year. How many people like Shaq would win one, would one, one, one championship and then be like, nah, I'm good. Jordan went and went and went and he pushed it and pushed it and pushed. He just... But that UNC shot is he pushing an opportunity to the furthest possible extent, which he did his whole career. Yeah, and that's a perfect cocktail, right? Because the 80s was Magic versus Bird at the time, mm -hmm. right? And those guys were going at it. And obviously you had the Pistons in the late 80s. But, I mean, you had that cocktail mixed with Jordan's determination. And that created the the more and more and more and more and more need it, need it, need it. And the only thing I'll really say about the, the North Carolina era Jordan is obviously he wore the shorts under his, you know, his bull shorts for many years, which was always kind of like a cool – I don't know, like a, a down home kind of thing, which always made Jordan maybe a little bit more endearing early on in his career. And honestly, like what? Like this is his only indie album, right? This is the only time when there were coaches that were kind of split on the greatness of Jordan. I think no one would dispute that everyone thought that he was going to be good right now. And Abai, you can understand this with like Patrick Ewing, right? Like when he came out of Georgetown, consensus, good, most thought great. And he actually fulfilled that which is such an interesting interesting thing with Jordan. I think people were kind of split on how great exactly he was going to be, which is why that story of why, you know, the Blazers took Sam Bowie because we've already got a, a score named Drexler. They just looked at Jordan as a score, not a transcendent player. And this is one of them, those more innocent times. And that's kind of just how I sort of think about it. Abai, just hop in real quick on the whole concept of, is it more fulfilling to watch a guy who who's told that you're, he's can't miss fulfill his destiny or is it more painful to watch a guy who you think is can't miss be a bust and i'm not throwing obi toppin out there i'm not throwing his name out there but i just it's early man it's early i know i know now i would say I, I i actually imagine that it would be harder to fulfill when you're when you you've got so much uh the expectations are so high so what lebron does and what might you know to me that's the that's got to be the hardest thing in the world you know I, I would much rather come come in as an underdog who's like fighting his way up than when the expectations are through the roof yeah i mean that's and it's the Derek rose question too here in chicago where it's more of like an it's more of like an ethereal conversation of did did rose meet expectations right because a lot of people thought championships he got hurt but still we still love him deeply it's kind of a harder 
conversation and it was really hard to live up to those expectations. And Jordan obviously did it tenfold. Mike, hop in. Well, Abai too, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, this is all hindsight, right? But um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Patrick Ewing was a freshman on that Georgetown team that Michael hit the shot over, right? So I, I think he was a freshman. So could that already have been kind of uh, in hindsight, one of those things where you're like, oh, this, this, the, the Patrick, you know, Michael thing had already started. So well, I think looking at the footage that I saw, there was a decent amount of behind the scenes stuff in there, obviously. Michael seemed to get the most joy from taunting Ewing, you know, like even every time, every interaction they have with each other, Michael's just talking shit on Ewing in like 1998. They're, they're in the all-star locker room. Michael sees Ewing and brings up the Georgetown UNC. He brings up that game. Like it's unbelievable how long that like, and, and at the forefront of Jordan's psyche, it was like, talk shit on Patrick Ewing every chance I get. That's funny you're bringing that up because that's another reason why you don't want to be a can't-miss prospect in the 80s or 90s because you just made Jordan's fucking list. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's probably the last thing that you want to do. And that, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, man, we're going to talk about some of those Knicks-Bulls battles and I think in some preceding rounds here. But let's just get this out of the way, guys. You notice we didn't even talk about the first three-peat, and I think there's a good reason why we wanted to give the UNC Jordan the credit that it's due, but let's do a quick vote. Uh, Adam, my friend, where are you going? UNC or first three Pete? First three Pete. First three Pete. A bye. First three Pete or UNC Jordan? Yeah, we'll give it the first three Pete. It's two to nothing. Mike, close us out. Are we looking at a well, sweep listen, here? Yeah, listen, there's no point in trying to be contrarian. I love UNC Jordan, but how, how can you vote that against, uh, you know, the first three Pete Jordan? So, yes, first, first three Pete Jordan for me as well. And we have our first winner here. Looks like uh, they covered the sp- Spread, which I think was about 20 and a half points in this game. It was an easy walk to the victory. Looks like first three Pete Jordan's going to be moving on. Let's hit our second round real quick. I'm going to go to the four or five seed because this one's really interesting to me. And this is going to add to some really lively conversation. The number four seed is Olympic Jordan versus number five media mogul Jordan. Now, for those that are asking what's media mogul Jordan, just think of every time that you've seen him on a commercial, a movie poster, anything along those lines. This is going to pretty much fit into that category right here. Adam, my friend, get us started here. Four versus five. You know, which way are you leaning right now? And, uh, you know, which side of this has you most intrigued? You know, I, I was not thinking of the commercials when I when I first saw that. That changes everything in my head. Um, um, yes, that would that would push me more towards. I mean, Jordan Gatorade McDonald's like that whole thing that i try to explain to kids now and they're like who cares so he sold hamburgers i'm like you don't get it dude (laughs) you don't understand what be like mike was you don't understand how big that was and how he just redefined what a sports athlete could do to sell stuff it was just it was it was otherworldly i think that oh goes uh, over the olympic jordan only because there were other people on those teams when i think of olympic jordan i think about the dream team i mean my goodness you know i just, you just there's no way not to think about the amazing collection and what that meant um yeah if i'd say media mogul jordan is 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 higher up on my list as just imprinted in my brain there's a lot of there's intensity there with the media mogul jordan Big for time. sure a lot by uh, you know Adam's bringing up a great point just talk about like what the dream team meant to you because to Adam's point it's so uh, it's so incredible that it is about the collection right it was never Michael Jordan's team or Magic Johnson's team or whatever and that is kind of the first time 
where Jordan is not maybe necessarily the headliner, but more of the ensemble. So just talk about what the dream team was like for you, you know, growing up, obviously Patrick Ewing was on that team and it was an incredible summer watching them. Yeah. Well, for me personally, this is the only time I ever rooted for Michael Jordan. You know, he was always <laughs> the enemy. Like, oh, I hate Michael Jordan. He's, he's killing me. Like, and I imagine it was the same for everyone, everyone else in the country outside of Chicago, just like, you know, fucking Michael Jordan, always, always taking, you know, ki uh, killing it. So I love Olympic Jordan, you know, that's the only, he's the only Jordan that I love. And I didn't, you know, everyone in the whole country loved Jordan, maybe, uh, or loved the dream team, you know, except maybe Isaiah Thomas, he might be the only person who didn't <laughs> like the dream team, but, but yeah, it was like such a big part in New York. Everyone loved the dream team. Everyone was wearing dream team jackets, all the, you know, had all the stuff. It was, it was just so much fun. Yeah. I mean, the thing to me is like a lot of these things we have to think about like the overall global impact. So it, specifically, yeah, we can talk about Olympic Jordan. I mean, he was the singular talent on that 84 team, led the team with 17 points a game, that 92 team. I mean, they won by an average of 40 points against the best play, players in the world. And they won by an average of 43 points. But, you know, especially come the 92 team, it's, it's the global impact because you have to remember that there was an era where Prior to that 92-ish year, there were only a handful of Euros in the league. You know, we have names like Vladi, we have Drazen Petrovic, Sharunas Marcelonis, but it was it was an oddity to have a Euro in the NBA. Um, and so I think that 92 team really brought this global exposure to the NBA specifically. Because, you know, basketball is popular all throughout the world, but it was, it was a regional game. It was, you know, it was very much contained to the countries that they were playing their respective leagues in. Can you imagine the NBA today without the likes of like a Dirk Nowitzki, a Luka Doncic, you know, like, you know, all, all these guys like uh, Nikola Jokic. I mean, I, I cannot Giannis, right? Like every team today has two, three euros on their team. And there is definitely a part of that that can be attributed to the globalization that happened uh, via the dream team come 92. So again, it's like not only just the direct impact, but like the, the overarching impact that things that Michael is involved with that continue to kind of just have this like mega, mega influence, like socially even, right? Like I, I cannot imagine the NBA, NBA today without a strong Euro presence like it has. Yeah, it, it blew my mind as a young little hoops head. You know, you think of, you know, the Avengers or the comic book ensemble get togethers and it was that like times 12. And, uh, you know, you're bringing up some great points that are very true, Mike, but I got a great counter for you. You know what else was a huge influence on people overseas? Is it the shoes? Like Mike, I like to be like Mike off the backboard, off the corridor, nothing but no you know what I mean? Like, honestly, like that's what, you know, when you really start to dig into it and look like I grew up, I grew up a little Michael Jordan psycho. I got the dream team shirt on Jersey on right now. Underneath is still an original back to back uh, bulls championship. That is like, honestly, like on its like last legs. And really, you know, that's what it was, right? It was, I'd wake up in my Michael Jordan sleeping bag. I'd turn on the TV and he's drinking Gatorade. I'd go downstairs. I'd put on Michael Jordan's playground. I'd come back. I'd maybe have a McJordan special for dinner. You know, I mean, he was just the, the dude was just everywhere. And, you know, Mike, you did such a great job of bringing, you know, media mogul Jordan into this seat because it's so important to talk about. And this is kind of a dark horse, in my opinion. Adam, hop in. Yeah. Um, what you're describing about the dream team, I don't think happens the same way without media mogul Jordan. I think what he did, starting with the shoes, leading through, kind of dragged all of those people on the dream teams 
even higher, right? So, I mean, Larry Bird's in that that um, off the off the wall. Uh, I mean, he took the NBA to such a level. He was the leader of that. So there's a reason why when they were going, you know, when, when they're in Spain and you look up and you see him, it's because media mogul Jordan was every, he was all over the world. He was selling McDonald's all over the world. Um, that made the dream team that much bigger. So I, I still go back to the, 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 the idea that without media mogul Jordan, Olympic Jordan just is not as, as huge. It, it kind of mixes together to me. It's almost the same thing. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you guys mentioned it with Space Jam as well, right? And we talked about it in the beginning. It's the 25th anniversary. And to this day, it's still the number one grossing basketball movie of all time. Like everything Michael touched in his career was was literally gold. The only final thing I will have to say, just as a side note on the Olympics, which is neither here nor there, I, I, I'm just happy that the Olympics happened after the uh, 84 draft because, you know, obviously it's the whole lore of like Michael was picked third, Sam Bowie was picked number two before Jordan because, you know, Portland, you know, they had Clyde Drexler. We didn't need another shooting guard, but I will say this, had that Olympics occurred prior to the draft, I don't know because he now has cemented his place as like, now he's dominating globally. And at that point you would think that, you know, Portland to some degree would have had to have been like, eh, We may need to consider this guy. So I I am just very happy that the 84 Olympics happened after the 84 draft as opposed to prior, because that may have changed Portland's mentality on who they should have drafted. Well, and and to throw Olympic Jordan a bone real quick, we're going to vote in just a second here, kind of see maybe how this is perhaps trending. But the funny thing is he did win two gold medals, right? And as much as we want to talk about Dream Team Goatee Jordan, which is the only Jordan that a buy likes, is Goatee Jordan only. It's like like Bizarro Jordan for most of us. But the first one is, as you mentioned, Mike, is like that summer, that's the old wives tale, right? Of Bobby Knight coming out of that being like this guy, this guy right here is going to change the game. And his progress, his progression as a player was just so um, accelerated at that time. And that whole Bobby Knight, like kind of stamp of approval. Would he have been a Chicago Bull? I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure about that, but it is time to get a vote in here. It's the four or five seed. Two great seeds. Let's see where it goes. Mike, vote first, my friend. What do you got? Media mogul Jordan or Olympic Jordan? You know, again, this one is close and I, I really love Olympic era Jordan. But again, the as, as you guys were mentioning, just the overall media presence and impact of media mogul Jordan. It, it has to be that for my vote. Bye. Where are you leaning right now at this time? Olympic Jordan versus media mogul Jordan. This one's easy for me. It's Olympic Jordan. Ooh. <laughs> And because and because real quick, right? Like, what is what was your take when you saw him in every third commercial growing up? I mean, I, I, you, you want to hate on the guy. Was it was it an exhaustion or was it an anger? You know what I mean? Like, was it enough already or was it uh, I just I hate this guy? It was an hate. It was a hatred. Like yeah. Knicks fans hated Michael Jordan. I mean, but even like uh, does does like his sneakers fall into media mogul Jordan? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I loved Michael Jordan's sneakers. I was like, these sneakers are so good. I couldn't afford them. They were so expensive. So I think there's, mm. there's also a couple of things that you could criticize Michael along the way. Maybe that's not, you know, capitalist Michael. You know, there's some criticisms that I think could be thrown at him. So considering that and considering that it's the only time I loved Michael Jordan and a lot of the rest of the country loved Michael Jordan, I'm going with Olympic Jordan. We're tied at one. Adam, my friend, hop in. Where are you leaning? Um, obviously, media mogul uh, Jordan uh, to me, and, but it is really close because I, I I think those are both 
they're almost the same thing. I know that's not how we 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 designed this, you know, bracket wise, but knew the reason he was a worldwide figure in the Olympics and a worldwide figure. I mean, it's all the same thing. It was it was his ability to be this spokesman for um, looking cool doing anything. That's it's almost the same thing. But yeah, media mogul. So it's a five four upset. Yeah, he had that like windbreaker that when you'd get the Wheaties box, then you yeah. try and get proof of purchase, and then you'd get it, and it was like literally like paper mache, and you're like, oh man, this is kind of this is kind of a piece of shit. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm going. I'm going with media mogul Jordan here too, as well. But real quick, just just out of out of fun, I you know cracked up a couple of stats here. I just remember watching the Dream Team and being like, "Oh man, you know Mike's not really caring. Mike's just here having fun. MJ's, you know, he's not really doing a whole lot. Oh no, contrary, you look it up, and uh, he led the team in minutes. Uh, he led the team in shots. Uh, he was second in scoring with uh, 14.9 points a game. He set an Olympic record with 12 assists versus Germany. He had eight steals versus Angola and Cro. Croatia, uh, just some other fun stuff on there. Like, you know, Scotty led the team with 5.9 assists, but Magic Johnson probably would have led the team per his 36 minutes. Um, Jordan also led the team in turnovers, too. That one's for you, Abai. Just throwing that one out there. <laughs> so, he, I mean, he was into it. It wasn't like he was just there kind of showing up and just kind of deferring. He was still trying there to be the alpha dog. And as we all remember in the last dance, you know, the series that you worked on, Abai, and edited, those, you know, those dream team practices were absolutely epic. Before we get to the next round, though, I think this is a perfect opportunity to talk to you about. I just really want to hear about, you know, your experience, not just working on the last dance, but like, how did the project come along? Um, you know, any fun stories along the way? Because, I mean, I know you're watching a lot of Michael Jordan, but you're also just watching a lot of NBA in the 90s. And I think all four of us can agree that is just such a special, special time in our sports history and our in, uh, when we were growing up. Yeah, well, the reason I got involved was because there was a, a couple of other editors who had uh, met with the director about working on the project. And for whatever reason, they couldn't work on the project, which I'm sure now they regret. But uh, they were a, a few people were like, oh, you got to talk to Abai. This guy's an editor who like loves 90s basketball. He's he's perfect for this job. So I, in my mind, I had people, I, I already knew about the project and I knew about this footage from, you know, this, uh, from years ago, you know, it's just been, it's just been this folk, this folk legend of this footage. So eventually I got in touch with, or they got in touch with me and I went into the, for the interview to meet with the director and meet with the producers. And they had on the board, all the, the stories that they wanted to talk to, talk about. And, uh, and I was like, man, I am the only person that you're going to meet that's an editor a documentary editor in new york who cares about everything on this board and like wants to just talk about everything so when i when i got in there and when i got the job and i started looking through the footage i was just like i am so lucky to be watching this this footage that everyone that you know diehard basketball fans know about so it was it was just as cool as you would imagine it or think it would be it was it was just awesome did you ever mention in the interview, oh, I hate Michael Jordan? Did you throw that out there? <laughs> well, I, I did, of course, yeah. I think I pitched this as a, a positive thing in that I would be able to um, have some perspective to some degree. You know, I, I, we didn't want to make a Michael Jordan puff piece. We didn't want to make, a, you know, just talking about all of his, all his achievements and that it, that's it. I think, and I think also I understand the impact he had more than most people you know there's not you know there's not many people who cried because of michael jordan you know so i really understood how important this guy was 
Well, and, and let me let me ask you this because not to like keep like drilling in on the hate or whatever, but like you know, I hated the Knicks, man. You know what I mean? Like I got so excited to play the Knicks, man. Like I I don't know if you were you ever were you excited to play Jordan or or did you did you dread playing Jordan because you know what no. I mean? No, <laughs> you're never you're excited to play Jordan. That's the thing, you guys. I think also once you win, I think it changes everything. You know, it, it takes the takes the edge off. You know, like oh, even if Jordan doesn't win his fifth championship, you're going to be fine. You know, the Knicks never won anything, and we all felt like it was because of Michael Jordan. So there was no like <laughs> oh, it's we're losing to the Bulls, but it's fun watching the best player ever. It was just like, I mean, for me and my friends and my family, it was just complete hatred. We don't want to play the bulls. This is how much I hated Michael Jordan. I think it stands to this day. <laughs> There's in the interview. And I think this is a well-known fact. Uh, it didn't make it in the cut, but Jordan talks about during his contract uh, disputes with Jerry Krause. He said at one point, if they didn't give me the money I wanted, I was fine going to the Knicks. Like I, I, I was ready to go to the Knicks for the league minimum, you know, I, cause I, as I'm sure as a fuck you to Kraus or big time. Um, yeah. But I think my hatred of Michael was so deep that if he came to the Knicks, I don't know if I would have liked it. Like wow. I wanted to beat Michael. <laughs> I didn't want to, I don't want to have him come to the Knicks. You know, that might be the stupidest thing to say, but I hated him so much that the thought of him being on the Knicks disgusting um the one the one question i had well n not even necessarily a question but i think also we have to remember that the last stand series dropped right in the beginning of the pandemic right like when we did not know what was going on in this world we did not know what the future held so i think first of all i i thank you for being part of a team that literally kept this country sane for that five-week stretch that it aired i mean that was appointment watching, which in this day of like streaming media and so forth, that's not a thing anymore. Appointment watching is not a thing anymore. And the last dance was. So my question for you is just, well, I have two questions. One, because I know you guys up the release dates. Uh, so like how much of the episodes were one still unfinished, especially and how hard was that working remotely? And then the other part of my question is more of a broader question in terms of just has it has it sunk into you yet? Like literally, the cultural impact this series had on, on, in to, to the world this last year. I mean, it really is like a very significant pop culture uh, uh, a series that that that's been probably as influential as any series in the last decade. Well, the 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 first part of your question, we in the edit room, we were set to release during the finals. That was the idea. We're going to release during the finals. And we were like panicking. We were like, we need more time. This is, we, there's so much more to do. We're way behind. And, and then obviously the pandemic happens and we get the phone call like, oh no, we're, we're actually pushing it forward three months or whatever it was, two months. Yeah. So we were like, oh my God, that is the worst possible news. So we were still editing the last three or four episodes when the show aired. But when the first, when the show aired because of, the success of it and the the hype and how how well it did and like seeing the response from people it made finishing those last episodes more fun it felt like we we were more inspired and more like driven to like do a good job and like you know do it justice and it, it felt it was fun because we were usually you edit a movie and then it comes out four months later and you're but to be editing something in real time getting the response from people was was pretty wild and fun so it made that last stretch really fun but um, it was insane. We were editing from home and it was, 
it was hectic, but uh, I can't even imagine. And then, yeah, and then the cultural impact, I feel like the thing that shows how culturally crazy this was, was that aired a year ago. And then last week, SNL did a sketch about the last dance. I'm like, they're doing sketches a year later. Like Mm -hmm. this thing, it doesn't seem to go away. It's like, yeah, I think it's not just a year later. It's going to be the rest of Jordan's life that the, that that documentary kind of imprints it, it kind of changes his legacy. There's going to be people that only saw Last Dance and didn't see him play. Whenever you talk about Jordan, The Last Dance is going to be as... Im- that should be one of our brackets, uh, yeah. honestly, because The Last Dance Jordan is way more influential than UNC Jordan. It's way more influential than Rookie Jordan. Yeah. So, I mean, pl- take a bow. Uh, in fact, when I was doing advertising for my movie, I said, if you have to see one Jordan movie in 2020, you go see Last Dance. But after that, you can you should probably come see my, my movie, you know, because it was just the, the footage is so incredible, uh, especially for fans that only got to see the surface of that period. That footage, my jaw dropped. Just the first episode, my jaw dropped. I'm like, how the hell did they get in that that much I mean, it needed 20 years till it was released. If that shit would have been public at the time, oh my God, unbelievable footage, just unbelievable footage. It was a beautiful, was a beautiful wine barrel, right? That maybe needed to age just perfectly yes. for this moment to come out at that time. And, and man, you're hitting it right on the head where, you know, my wife, my wife is from Pittsburgh. They don't know what basketball is. They've never, <laughs> but, but you're right, man. When she watched it, she would literally just turn and be like, wait, he did that? And then we... He made that, and it wasn't just like hitting a couple shots and winning a couple titles. It was this constant over and over thing. And honestly, yeah, I know, Abai, you know, you and your team, the people that worked on it, man, to be able to bring something to the table that obviously we loved so much, but to be able to equal the the height of it all. Because before you even popped down, we were just talking about singular celebrity in the 90s. That's kind of what our generation has. Now, there is no sing- there is no consensus on a celebrity the way that we had the Madonnas and the Michael Jordans and all that stuff of our time. And, and the fact that you guys did such an amazing job and the fact that like when something that big comes out and no one like has a complaint about it, even the diehard nerdy people, that's how, you know, you guys did a good job. And obviously you guys are nominated for an Emmy for it. Uh, Mike hop back in and then we got to go to the next round. Yeah, exactly. Just super, super quick. Last question. Um, whose idea was it? Cause the thing that still strangely resonates most with me and it's just a little aside and I still crack up every time I see the ID, but when they lower third uh, Barack Obama, the lower third is former Chicago residents. So I just, I was curious, like whose idea was it to, to ID him as like former Chicago resident, if you, if you know that at all. No one on our team thought that was weird because we were we were trying to we only wanted to include people as much as we could who had, you know, who had some connection to Michael and what happened. And we weren't just interviewing anyone. So what was important about Barack Obama was that he, and especially at that point in where when he's talking is that he used to live in Chicago. But yeah. no one, no one on the team ever like it never it, we saw it and it was like, okay, that's normal. There was no like this is gonna be you know, uh, anything. So we were shocked when, when the memes started coming up, looking back, I'm like, Oh yeah, of course that's kind of ridiculous, but we didn't see it coming. <laughs> Let's just get it right into it, man. I think you teased it, my friend. Let's just get in right into this three, six seed right here. It's rookie Michael Jordan versus retirement. Michael Jordan. 
Now, when people are saying rookie Michael Jordan, this is basically what we're considering like 84 to 89, the pre-championship years, the gold necklace, the curse of Chicago on the jersey. Michael Jordan still has hair for the most part versus retirement Jordan, which is everything and anything. Um, a lot to talk about in this particular category. Mike, you want to get us lead it off first here? Which one do you want us to talk about first? Well, again, if, you know, for, I, I want to touch upon rookie Jordan because, like, you know, uh, Adam, like, literally kind of, uh, you know, he kind of started his fandom of Michael Jordan because basically it was a tag along with the Chicago Bears, the 85 Bears. That's how he kind of indirectly became a Bulls and Michael Jordan fan. So we have to remember that at that era, that early 80s, even, even with Magic and Larry, the NBA was not this popular widespread sport. It was still very much like a third tier sport. I mean, in doing the research, they were like all the way up until like 86, there were playoff games that were tape delayed, tape delayed playoff games that were not live. I can't, I can't imagine any sport, much less a playoff game that was tape delayed. So just let that sink in. And then, you know, again, like in speaking with uh, Adam, this whole idea that, you know, Michael's rookie year was the beginning of the 85 Bears Super Bowl run, right? One of the most iconic, not just football teams of all time, but one of the most iconic sports teams of all time. So the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan, to some degree, should have been an afterthought. So just the very fact that he just made just this national splash in the wake of low NBA popularity overall, and then specifically in Chicago with the Bears, like kind of, somewhat riding the coattails of the bears popularity. It, it's actually amazing. But, you know, again, this era, we were talking about all the different things that he did before the championship years, you know, the only player, you know, he has um, the only player, I think it was in the 80, uh, 87, 88 season to win both an MVP and a defensive player of the year. I mean, his scoring, obviously we, we know, there's no need to regurgitate all the scoring stats. I mean, one of the premier scores of all time actually has oh, the highest scoring okay. average. Well, yeah, but you know, but here's the thing with that, right? Like, he, so Michael has the highest scoring average of all time, both regular season and playoffs. Now he's not one of the all-time leading scorers just by the very nature that he only played 15 years. You know, one year was cut short because of his foot injury. Another year, his first return year, he only played 17 games. So, you know, when we talk about the Kareem's, you know, now even with like LeBron, they're, they're playing 18 plus seasons in the league. So if Jordan had wanted to stick it out, there's no doubt in my mind he would have smashed every record that there was scoring wise. So um, yeah, that, that rookie Jordan, again, I know we're kind of cheating a little bit by incorporating kind of all those years prior to that first championship, but that's, that's as dominant in sports history as you can get from an individual accolade standpoint. Okay. So big, big difference here between uh, rookie Jordan and just pre-championship Jordan for me. When, when I, when I, when I initially heard about, I was just thinking that first year, but if, if we're including five years, oh my goodness, that was his entry into the stratosphere. You know what I mean? I mean, that was as big as you could get without winning a, a championship. My, my pick, it changes completely depending on whether we're talking about rookie Jordan or pre-championship Jordan. This just before we go down this road, cause I'm taking this serious. Yeah, <laughs> we're doing, we're doing pre-champions. So to be even okay. more specific, so that way it clarifies your thought process. It's, it's, we, we, yeah, it'll be all the years prior to the championship. Okay. So yeah, if that, yeah. It's yeah. out in the all-star game from the free throw oh. line. All yeah. That. I was going to say the yeah, the, the slam dunk contest. I mean, that's what I remember the most other than just, you know, normal basketball games. How big were those slam dunk contests? The free throw line. I, st- I have that poster who didn't have that poster. Um, 
in fact, I have a, I have a soft spot more for pre-championship Jordan, right? There's like, that's my child childhood. I was born in 75. So um, when, when, when we're talking like 87, also I was 12 years old, man. Like yeah, you're fine there. that's that, that's the moment. That is my childhood. That is, that is, that is way more special. His rookie year. I don't remember that much straight up. I remember hearing of him. I was a football fan, but it, it was, it was honest to God when he scored 63 in the playoffs in 86. That was my, my first, what did he do? Cause I knew who, you know, I knew how good the Celtics were. And then, then boom, then you're paying attention. And then comes the McDonald's and the Gatorade and the dunk contests. And then it's like, is he ever going to win a championship? So that's a huge moment. Jordan in his rookie season, 33 times, 30 plus points, plus seven games of 40 plus points. The dude was a scorer right off the bat. Abai, let's talk about retirement, Jordan, a little bit because, you know, maybe this is in your sweet spot, right? Because I think this is the first time in my life I grew up with Jordan being this flawless character. And uh, guys, I got to do it at some point with the retirement Jordan of, you know, Kwame Brown, Adam Morrison, Brandon White, DJ Augustine, Gerald Henderson, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, Cody Zeller, Noah Vonley, Frank Kaminsky, Malachi Richardson, uh, trading SGA. I mean, so, uh, you know, as a, as a Knicks fan, how did you kind of, how do you kind of view Jordan's retirement? Well, for me, it's hard personally, because as we mentioned earlier, the last dance is bulked up into retirement Jordan. So I got to be grateful to Michael at this, this, you know, at this point in his life, you know, his interviews and how candid he was, that's the only reason that, you know, that series was successful. So I do have a soft spot for retirement Jordan because of that, but yeah, I mean, as a Knicks fan and seeing him struggle as a as a, an executive was <laughs> thrilling. <laughs> I was loving it, and I was like, "Great, uh, awesome!" Yeah, uh, Mike, uh, hop back in. Um, how do we? I mean, look, retirement, Jordan. Right. Most recently, over the last three or four years, I think the narrative has really changed. Right, like the humanity with his relationship with Kobe Bryant, the one hundred million dollars that he's going to donate to ten different donations of his choosing to help social justice. The fact that he's getting into NASCAR racing and he's got Bubba Wallace as his driver. I mean, it looks like now Jordan is really trying to start to flex when honestly the last 20 years, I don't really think the dude wanted to be in the limelight at all, which is completely his choice. So how do you reconcile that, Mike, with all the good things that he done when he gives Tyrus Thomas $40 million and gives a long-term deal to Corey Maggette? Well, again, you know, the, the choices he's made in terms of management and ownership, you know, that obviously you can question that. But just the very fact that, one, you know, he's the only black owner of an NBA team. He's the uh, only professional player in the NBA that has majority ownership of a team. Um, you know, and not that things should come down to money by any means, but, you know, he's the first billionaire athlete. You know, currently, I think he's worth like $1.9 billion. I think it peaked in, uh, it was $2.1 billion last year. So I don't know where he lost that $500 million. It was probably in a golfing uh, bet somewhere along the line, right? But, um, yeah, you know, just it's, once again, it's like he's he's elevated his, his uh just his presence. It doesn't just have to have been on the basketball court. And the, the, the other interesting thing too, is that like, again, we talk about it to your point, Joey, like he's kind of removed himself from the limelight, you know, these last few years, he's kind of reinserted himself, but like other than athletes who've kind of gone on to like announcing roles, you can't really name that many athletes who are still in the social consciousness 20 years after they played Michael Jordan, whether he purposely or wasn't trying to be in the limelight, 
always has been, you know, even, you know, the crying meme, that's another meme that like was from his Hall of Fame speech is as famous of a meme as there is out there, right? So just the fact that he is still, you know, we got the Jordan brand, which is, you know, the fact, I mean, I think, think about this. What other athlete besides, I guess, the balls who have their, what's, what's the name of the LeVar Balls company? But anyways, what other athlete literally has their own, like, brand? Like, he had, Jordan brand is now its own separate brand. Like, it's still obviously under the Nike umbrella, but it's its own separate entity. I mean, there are, you know, that just from that alone, I think that makes obviously billions of dollars every year. So just the impact that he's had not even lacing up his shoes. Other people are doing that, obviously lacing up his shoes, but like, it just, it's, it, it amazes me that he's constantly evolving, constantly being influential. And so, as you guys also mentioned, we're putting the last dance in there. We're, pu- we're putting meeting Michael in there. So again, there's all these touchstones pop culturally that he's still influencing us, influencing us to this very day. So it, it's, a, it's a tough one between the two. Um, I just have to say, I think it's hilarious how personally you take his poor GM decisions. Uh, (laughs) Joey has numbers. He's got stats. He's got every name. People, I can't, I don't even know who some of these people are, dude. (laughs) Honestly, MJ is my my spirit animal. And look, I'm a super even keel dude and I'm like a comedian, but I still do that shit where like, if I get rejected, if I want to come back, and I, I might not get him tomorrow, but if I get him two years later, you know what I'm saying? Like I have like that MJ and it just, it just pisses me off that he, that he makes those terrible, horrible decisions like that. And obviously, you know, he takes over a team and then what goes seven and 59 or whatever the record was. It, in the and this is the problem with the point um, that, that Michael was making was that, okay, he's, he, he's an owner and all that. Everything ownership wise really does get kind of watered down because he's been so bad at it. You know what I mean? It's almost a wash. Of course, he's the first black owner and, and he's a billion like that. Of, of course. But <laughs> because he's been so bad at it, it's just really difficult to do anything but wince a little bit. Now you bring in Last Dance and, and, and dude, obviously, if you saw meeting Michael, you know what his speech at Kobe's memorial did to me, right? It's, I can't even think about it right now without tearing up. Um, so but 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 again, I, I know how I'm voting. I was just gonna say, uh, I wonder if uh, Jerry Krause is you know laughing in his grave somewhere, <laughs> seeing Michael struggle as a GM. There's some yeah. bad karma yeah. that Michael oh! got. And, and you're bringing up a great point, man. Because when we're talking about Ricky Jordan, we are in this category. There were several situations, the Charles Oakley story, or, or you know Michael wanted certain guys or his buddies drafted. And, you know, I want Charles Bar- Charles Oakley on the team. And, you know, Krause is like, no, I'm trading him for Bill Cartwright, man. And, you know, that really started a bit of a friction relationship. And you're actually bringing up a really good point because there were several situations where Michael was dead wrong on stuff that he wanted that Jerry Krause went against the grain with. And it actually worked out for the betterment of his career, you know, whether the competitive juices got in the way or not. But, I mean, it definitely kind of played out like that. Adam, hop back in. A uh, real quick story. When I was in the locker room with him, um, uh, when we were all just hanging around talking, nobody's recording or whatever. Um, he was talking about Glenn Big Dog Robinson. And I interrupted him and said, well, actually, Vin Baker is doing way better. Now, <laughs> he stopped, stared at me like, don't you ever fucking do this? Who do you think you are? Right. And I just remember completely wilting. And of course, you go to like two years later. Glenn Big Dog Robinson, I think he was signed to Jordan 
while Jordan was still playing. Remember, there was a time in the 90s where you had all, you know, it was like, this is weird. And and, and I, I went right back to that memory going, oh, he probably had that all figured out before. And I'm the asshole who came in to go, oh, no, no. Vin, Vin. <laughs> was, but again, one of those things that is burned into your brain, uh, you don't ever do that. Um, but yeah, he has been quite wrong on who he's thought was was the next whatever. Uh, it's, it's, it's remarkable how wrong he is. Um, when it comes to those decisions, I, I I can't believe it. Mike, I think it's time, man. Final thoughts, and let's put in a vote. No, I'm I am I'm ready to vote, and I'm going to go right away with retirement, Jordan. I mean, again, this, just his Ooh. impact still, still to this day, is amazing. So it's retirement, Jordan, for me. A bye, uh, rookie Jordan or retirement Jordan? Yeah, this was personal for me. I'm going retirement, Jordan. Wow, it's two zero, uh, Adam, my friend. Where are we going? I'm going rookie Jordan. I'm going rookie Jordan as well. Which Mike? What do we do? This is why we have tie-breaking games in stores. So, uh, Adam, you're actually going to participate in this first tiebreaker. So we're really going to test your Michael Jordan knowledge here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you five true or false questions. And then all you have to do is answer three or more of them correct. And then that means your choice of rookie Jordan gets to move on the uh, next round. So are you- You don't think I'm cheating. I'm totally cheating, but here we go. No, no, no. So here we go. I'm going to do them fast. I'm going to throw them at you real fast. True or false? Michael Jordan was born in New York. True. It is true. Michael Jordan was born on February 17th, 1963 in the Fort Greene neighborhood of Brooklyn. Michael and his family eventually moved to his more famous residence of Wilmington, North Carolina in 1968. Number two, true or false? Michael Jordan is the first player to ever record a triple-double in NBA All-Star Game history. Whoa gotta be false it is true during the 1997 all-star game michael recorded 14 points 11 rebounds and 11 assists to beat the western all-stars strangely though he did he did not win the mvp that game it actually went to glenn rice who he only scored 26 points in that game so i don't it's amazing that michael jordan who's uh, you know, got a triple double, didn't get the MVP. Glenn Rice got hot. Forty years of the All Star Game, there hadn't been a triple double. He was the first. The only other players to repeat that were Kevin Durant, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron James. All right, wow. number three. True or false? Michael Jordan has no tattoos. That's false. He's got the um, uh, shoe horn thing. You nailed it. Yes, he has. Uh, Tattoo over his heart bearing the Omega horseshoe symbol, which represents his college fraternity of Omega Psi Phi. All right, so you have two rights. So basically you have two questions to get one of them right. True or false? The iconic silhouette of Jordan flying through the air known as the Jumpman logo has always been the Jordan brand logo. Um, Just because it's a question, I got to say false. You are correct. The original Air Jordan logo actually featured a basketball on top of a series of wings, often referred to as the OG logo. The Jumpman logo didn't appear until 1987. So you already won. That already means that rookie Jordan is advancing. But do you want to do you want to just do the fifth one just just for shits and giggles? Okay, great. So true or false? This is a great one. This is why I wanted to still do this. Uh, There is a bacterial disease named after Michael Jordan. Um, but yes, of course that's true. <laughs> yeah, I think you get the sense of this game. It is true. In 1993, Dr. Stanford Schulman, a huge Michael Jordan fan, discovered a strain of salmonella that he named Salmonella M. Jordan. 
Shulman insisted that Jordan would feel honored by this since the bacteria, the way Jordan treats his opponents, causes one to experience diarrhea, severe wow. headaches, and intense abdominal pain. Uh, as a side note, as Abai in his, you know, the last sentence so wonderfully documented, it would be ironic if Jordan actually had Salmonella M. Jordan during his famous flu game against the Jazz, which as we learned in the last dance, might have actually been food poisoning more so than the flu. So that means rookie Jordan is advancing in our bracket. Well, known as Cleveland Cavalieris, I think was also uh, known as that fungus uh, for quite some time. This final one is the number two seed. This is second three Pete Jordan, 96 to 98. Or for some, if you want to include that 95 year of him coming back into 98, that's allowed to as well. Versus the number seven seed, Wizards Jordan. Abai, if you'd like to go first on Wizards Jordan or the second three Pete, how would you like to begin this little round table here? I think we should just skip this whole thing and just, you know, it's, it's, you know, this is the easiest one to make. <laughs> yeah. Wizard, is, is there anything positive to take from Wizards Jordan? Maybe that a, a black owner, which is pretty, uh, you know, remarkable and, and great. But other than that, like, it, it's a, it's a weird time. Adam, Adam hop in. I know you got a lot of thoughts on Wizards Jordan. I'm dying I love, to hear. I love Wizards Jordan. I, I feel like I'm the only person I recorded every game. I made little highlight reels. Um, I liked him because he was flawed and old and he was fighting that. It was it was something we didn't see, which is just way more relatable as a as a storyteller or as that's just a relate relatable to me. I watching LeBron last night with a with a bad ankle have to kind of reinvent how he's gonna play and just cut, you know, I, I'm going to enjoy the last few years of LeBron's um, uh, performance or his career because of that. Uh, Jordan was overweight. He was out of shape most of the time, and he was still <laughs> amazing. He was still amazing at 39 and 40. Um, and a, a barring injury, he could have gotten that awful, awful team uh, to the playoffs. Uh, people forget how good they were for a stretch that first season. Um, so I have a huge – I just enjoy – actual struggle it's kind of why i like rookie jordan so much when it wasn't so obvious you know um but yes if you're going to compare him to freaking second three p jordan yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this was this was going to be tough and it might be a sweep but man you're bringing up such a great point where look personally it hurt my heart to watch him go to the wizards but what you were bringing up though is the the clap back if you will of well, you know, you know, Jordan was just it was on the team. He was on the team with his guys and he had Phil Jackson. He would never come back unless he knew that he could win a title. Well, this kind of shuts down that narrative, right, of, you know, he wasn't. Of course, he was always in it to win titles. But in the end, he knew that he wasn't going to win an NBA title with the Wizards, but came back to play anyways, man. And you're bringing up a great point because, yeah, that team was pretty solid that year until he hurt his knee 60 games in. And then the dude came back and played 82 games, yep. average 36 minutes a game all right so hey Kawhi, guys uh you know load management dudes out there he's 40 years old he played every single game 36 minutes a game that's pretty damn cool mike hop in no i agree with adam there's kind of no reason to even waste our bullets on on the second three pete uh jordan but i i will say this Again, I think we have to give props to Michael in the fact that I think his eye was on the larger prize it was about ownership it was about management because let's let's face it 
unlike today's era of our LeBron James, of these various players that have jumped ship to chase after championships, there is no way if Michael wanted that seventh championship, he was playing for the Wizards. Let's just be honest. He wasn't going to the Wizards to win a championship. He was, if anything, trying to, again, show his dominance, as Adam was saying, at an older age, trying to will a lesser team to the playoffs to potentially win a championship. But it wasn't a scenario where, like, okay, I'm handpicking the teams that I think are going to win the championships that year and then go to that team. So again, I, I give him props for making the comeback on a lesser team. And again, he's the oldest player to score 40 points uh, in his, uh, as I think he scored 43 against the Nets at age 40. But just, you know, the fact that he still is asserted himself and tried to assert himself as opposed to like, okay, uh, I've got a, I've got one, maybe two more chances to win a championship. I'm going to go. I don't know at that, that point in time, who was like the, the, the championship caliber teams, but he, he wasn't going to those teams. He was still trying to do it on his own. Well, Phil uh, Jackson yeah. wanted him to come, by the way. He's like to the Lakers. Like he was like, hey, we got a spot for you right here. And yeah, Jordan's like, yeah. nah, I'm not doing it about this. It's about something yeah. else, like Joey was saying. Yeah, so they gave it to Rick Fox instead. <laughs> right, right. Uh, before we get out of here on this round real quick, just for some, you know, for some uh, modern, you know, for the people that are listening, like, well, how good was Jordan on the Wizards? 142 games. He averaged 21.2 points, 5.9 rebounds, 4.4 assists, 1.5 steals, shot 43% from the field. Just for reference, those are pretty much the exact same numbers as a Brandon Ingram, a Jimmy Butler, or a Malcolm Brogdon in the league today. And he was 40 years old. So, I mean, if we want to kind of look at, if we want to like hold up Jimmy Butler and be like, wow, what a great player. This is what Jordan was doing at 40. And then the final one real quick, here's some all-time NBA greats at 39 years old. Kareem at 39 averaged 17.5 points, 6.7 rebounds. Malone at 39 averaged 20.6 points, 7.8 rebounds. Hakeem Olajuwon at 39, 7 points, only 6 boards. He was washed. Tim Duncan, 8.6, 7.3. He was washed. So if you even put him up against some of the greats in the game, Jordan, in theory, was still doing it better at that age, even with the knee than perhaps any of those other guys or maybe his contemporaries or the generation before him did at that particular age. Let's get in a vote. Bye. Go first. Wizards Jordan verse 96 through 98. I don't know what you're going to say. Yeah. yeah, It's the second three P. Yeah. Second three P. I'm taking that too as well. That's going to go two O. Adam, are you going to throw a sympathy vote out there? Where are we going? I was, I was saying, how come you didn't like Wizards Jordan better? Cause they was losing. I mean, come on. I I would think that's your favorite Jordan. (laughs) Well, then the Knicks during that period weren't that Uh, as relevant. So it didn't, it didn't really matter as much, but But yes, my pick is the uh, second uh, three P of course. Yeah, the end of the end of the Allen Houston era. Mike, uh, is this a clean sweep? It is 100% a clean sweep. So I, I think we should definitely move on. We should have never, ever let Michael Jordan play for the Wizards. If you never heard that Kanye West song, check it out on YouTube. It's pretty amazing. And we're going to move on to our final four in just a second. But real quick, Adam, thank you for waiting. But I, I, the, the viewers and listeners, they need to know more about your documentary, Meeting Michael. Me and Mike checked it out beforehand. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story for any Chicagoan that has the dream of one day being across Michael and interacting with him. You made it happen. Tell us a quick little synopsis about the documentary and how you made it done. And then also how people can check it out too as well, because it's awesome. Um, I was in talk radio in uh, 1995 and uh, I was very vocal about how big of a a Jordan fan that I was. Um, Almost to the point of upsetting my program director because I would watch games when I was supposed to be on air and I would yell during, you know, that kind of stuff. So one day somebody said, dude, you work at a radio station, get a press pass, go meet him. And I went, you can't do that. 
And so I'm like, sure. I wrote to my sports director. I'm like, yeah, can I uh, have a press pass? And he was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's right here. And I was like, what? And I got a press pass and I bought a video camera thinking, oh, I'll just videotape the whole thing, not realizing how unbelievably uh, not allowed that is. And um, I, uh, I went there and I just did everything a fan would do. Um, and instead of going where you're supposed to go when you're a radio broadcaster at a basketball game into the little media section, I went to the floor and I sat there and I recorded everything and I recorded inside the locker room and I recorded, I ended up recording uh, an interaction with uh, Jordan and a fan who, I mean, it's it, looking back now, nobody ever knew about this if I hadn't recorded it. So it's this really special, it's a special video in that sense. So um I made a little edit of it back in 1995. And of course, I, there's no way to distribute it. I couldn't really sell. Obviously, I didn't own it. You know, I, you know, that's for the NBA, obviously, would, would have ownership of that. And so I just kind of kept it for 15 years, didn't even think about it. Uh, YouTube came along and they had a, they changed their time to 15 minutes that you could put up. I'm like, oh, I'll put a 15 minute version up. And it kind of blew up, got a, you know, a million views and um, Washington posted a story and, and so forth. And then I, um, I had the idea that at the 25th anniversary of it, which was last November, I would, um, I'd really do a deep dive um, because the footage is not the last dance footage, um, which I joke about often to people. I'm like, trust me, if you're going to see one, as I said, you go watch the last dance because it's the most unbelievable footage you can get. What's different about my footage is that it is there's a little twinge of magic to it because you know the person holding it is a fan there it is clearly not professional it's clearly a little kid freaking out um and my kids go up into my attic find all the footage and i tell them the story um and then we go through and i show them the shoes and i show them the signatures and we it just it's it's kind of like a fan movie um, that happens to house this really interesting subplot of that uh, Eddie Nara, the, the, the really shitty fan who was screaming at Jordan and making fun of his, his shoes, the best shoes he ever released. The Concord 11s, my God, did he know that he was making fun of the Concord 11s? Ah, it still gets me, dude. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's meeting Michael Itch. It was just about a day that I, I spent uh, 25 years ago uh, as a uh, fresh out of my teens. Um, and you feel like it, I've gotten this from a bunch of middle-aged men that write to me and go, dude, I felt like I was 15 again, because that's exactly what I would have done if I was in your shoes, dude. <laughs> that's what's so great about it is it's authentic, sincere yeah, yeah. with some craftsmanship, but it's got, it really, it's almost like a, one of those found footage movies, but it, you know, it's expertly put together and that's what's so great about it. Mike, hop in. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, also, I think the thing that gives it its heart is I, I really love the framework. This, the story is about you relaying this story to your kids. Right. And so that's what gives it its sentiment, sentimentality. That's what gives it its heart. That's what gives it, you know, this, this whole idea. It's, it's, it's about a father and who cares what the topic is. In your case, it was about Michael Jordan and meeting Michael Jordan, but it's about a father passing his legacy down to his children. And so to me, I think that, that, that framework is what really makes it touching. Um, and I will say to your, to your, you know, like you, you do mention, like, you know, you kind of approach it as a fan and as we all would at 19 years old, we all would have asked Michael to sign, you know, a Jersey in, 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 at the risk of being fired and so forth. But I will say you may been, you may have been the first one who asked Michael Jordan the question. Cause at that point, right. They were four. No, 
So you may have been the first one recorded from a journalistic standpoint to ask him, hey, do you think you got a shot to win 72 games this year? And, and you know, at the time, Jordan kind of blew it off. But as they would, at least at that time, went on to set the NBA record for most wins. I was not. I mean, it was being talked the second they got Rodman. We all went, oh, they're going to win 70. They're, not, they're clearly going to win. Like, it was just. Will they lose? Yeah. Will they right, lose? Right. How much um, will they yeah. So it was not an original idea, but I can't find anybody who asked him that before I asked him. So I guess you can yeah, you, yeah. You, can, you can say that. But qu- quickly, because this did come out after The Last Dance, as, as a filmmaker, in my brain, I had to think about what The Last Dance represented. And the footage is so good. It feels like you are on the Bulls, right? Like it, it is, it's so, the footage is so good. It's, it, you are there. It is, it is so intense. And I wanted meeting Michael to feel the way we felt, which was, it was a little more magical. He was bigger than life. I had no business doing this. I shouldn't be there. And it, the movie feels completely different because the footage is a little too grainy. And, you're st- and you could, I mean, I do a whole section in the movie where I show you how I was hiding it in, in, in my, going like this, the whole game, um, so I think that's what, that's what I'm proud about because it tells a completely different story about what it feels like to have done that. Um, but my goodness, I, it, it gets going to get compared to the last dance because it was released the same year and there is no comparison, man. <laughs> it is not the same movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, any way you take your Jordan is a great way to take it in my right, opinion. Right. Something that absolutely needs to be checked out. And I, it also reminds me of, and Abai, I want to ask you this real quick because I was just impressed you were able to go up to Mike. I mean, I, you know, cause look, I, this isn't like a tuning my horn. This is just adding context, you know, being out here in LA, working in the restaurant industry, I've met so many and in the business, so many different celebrities, right. That I'd come home. My wife would be like, Oh my God, you met them. And I really, I don't have a problem talking to celebrities, but I tell you, if Michael Jordan was in a room, I don't know what I would do. I, my mouth would go dry. I, you know what I mean? I would be, you know, dumbfounded. I would be scared as almost a child to go up and talk to him. You know what I mean? That's just kind of like my guy, you know, bye real quick. It's not MJ. I know that, but who's the guy, who's the athlete for you that like, if he walked into your room right now, you'd be like dumbfounded. You'd be speechless. You wouldn't know what to say. My favorite athlete of all time is John Starks. So he would be one that was special. <laughs> I, I was lucky enough to work on some. Yeah. Look at this. We're mending. We're mending fences right here. There you go. There you go. Uh, I was lucky to work with uh, Walt Frazier for a little bit for a couple of days on a project. And he was, I definitely had that feeling of like being overwhelmed and scared, but he was so kind and warm and like trying to put everyone at ease. So he's got a soft spot in my heart just because how nice he was to everyone, which, you know, I don't think a lot of athletes are like that, but, um, but Adam, and just for men, everyone got their, got their beards. He on. was, he was happy to sign stuff. He was, you know, like uh, uh, if, when you go up to an, uh, someone that you admire or who's a celebrity, you don't want to be the guy who's like, eh, what was it like to do this? He was happy to answer any question. He he indulged you in any kind of thing you wanted to talk about, which was so awesome. So, um, which uh, I don't know if Michael would do that. <laughs> I mean, Michael's different. You know, Michael must be, it must be so hard to be Michael. But uh, anyways, Adam, I, I, I have to say as like, as, as a sports fan, it, like that feeling of it's, I can, re- I can, re- I can relate. And I'm curious, I want to see the film because that feeling of like being somewhere where you're not supposed to be and like allowed to cross that line is so interesting and so lucky. 
Yeah, and I, I, I bring this up in the doc as well. Um, everybody who is used to being in the press knows, yeah, it says you're allowed to go into the locker room at this point, but that's first you go here and then you go, but I'd never done it, right? So I read that and at 11.01 a.m. I walked in and I sat down and I just acted like I was doing <laughs> what I was supposed to be doing. And it was just me, Quinn Buckner and Jordan. And they're all looking at me like, the fuck are you doing, kid? And they were they were cool with it. Krauss was not cool with me. He screamed at me and made me leave. Um, but I kept just doing what, you know, half of doing anything is just acting like you know what you're doing, right? Yep. And yep. since I yep. clearly didn't know what I was doing, I'm like, well, everything I'm doing is just doing that. So I ended up just kind of walking into this stuff and I would just be quiet and not try not to tip me, get, get on anybody. The craziest thing is I sat on the fucking court and nobody made me leave I, it's the craziest thing and i'm videotaping it and the photographers next to me are like i don't think you can videotape the game dude and i'm like oh i'm just using the audio i'm in radio and they're like <laughs> no no that's not how it works but they didn't want this i don't think they were going to go get the security so it just kind of all worked out now i did go back uh six months later for the next game and they remembered me and they were like <laughs> We'll be taking that camera and we'll be giving it back to you when it's over. And you will be sitting way up there now. <laughs> I'm, friends, I'm friends with Ray Clay. Uh, no, no, no. We know you. So, hey, I got, I got, I had that one moment, you know. And uh, great story and congratulations on the doc. And obviously everyone listening right now. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, Easiest way to find it is Amazon Prime, by the way. Amazon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's free right now too, which is also It nice. is free right now. It's very nice. Uh, it's time to move on to our final four, you guys. Uh, here we go. Let's rock and roll. Um, if I got this correct, Choi, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's going to be the first three-peat versus media mogul Jordan and then rookie Jordan versus 96-second three-peat Jordan. Ah, the beginning and the end. Yep, that is correct. That is correct. So let's do that one real quick. Let's do rookie versus uh, second three-peat. Mike, open us up here right now. You know, can the can the beginning really trump the end here? I know we uh, we all kind of work in the entertainment industry. That might be a little hard to pull off. Well, here's the thing, too, right? And I I would love to hear Abai's opinion on this because obviously the last dance is 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 the culmination, right, of of the second threepeat. And so your insight will be invaluable to this. So I'm not going to say too much, but I will just say like as as hard as it was when we talk about first threepeat Jordan to kind of get that first threepeat to do it again. And then to do it with one, that that first leg of the second three-peat where it was, right, he's making his comeback out of retirement from baseball. Does he have it, right? So there was that whole pressure. And then as, again, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it was brilliantly displayed in the last stand series. Then you get to that that third leg of the second three-peat and just the pressure of like knowing this is it. With like, and that's still boggles. I, I, I still cannot forgive Jerry Krause for like, hey, every championship team should get the chance to defend their championship. There should never be a time where you break up a championship team. But as things as they were, and it is what it is, you know, the pressure of knowing that in all probability, this is the last time this squad is playing together. So that was that stress. So just, just the idea of like them living up to the expectations, you know, Adam, you brought this up in the very beginning about Michael, just living up to the expectations of what everyone expected them to do. And they did it. That that's amazing. Yeah. In the footage and in the interviews, the guys who were involved in that second three P they all said that that was the hardest thing to do. You know, winning, winning three times is already nearly impossible. And, and specifically that third one is so hard and to do it twice 
Like, you know, I can't imagine. And, and like, as you see in the documentaries, all, with everything that's going on to be able to pull that out, you know, Rodman wasn't the same player by the end. Uh, Pippen and it was injured and had all his stuff with Jerry Krause. I, I, I do have to say, and this kind of goes back to Wizards, Jordan, and this might be crazy to say, but I think, I, in my opinion, Jerry Krause might have done you guys a favor. You know, I love the idea as, as a fan, seeing Jordan go out on top, seeing this unblemished, like, I don't love it, you know, it tortured me, but to me, there's nothing more impressive or like and cool to go out on top and have no blemishes. So I'm not sure they would have won the next year. I don't think they would have, you know, and I so I wonder if Jerry Krause did, a, did you a favor and that's my problem with Wizards, Jordan, is that like it was so perfect. Why blemish? Yeah, it's a really interesting what if because I, I agree with you. You know, we were leaning on Bison Dele a whole lot that season. Ron Harper was <laughs> Rodman was toast. Kerr was going to leave as a free agent. There's a lot going on there. Adam, I want you to hop in um, with your thoughts on this. And also maybe the added wrinkle, too, as well of not only was the team internally like, you know, pissed off at Kraus and Phil wanted to leave and stuff, but how does the NBA – have Michael Jordan going for his sixth title, his second straight three-peat, and be looking straight into the face of a work stoppage, which eventually did happen. I mean, how do you have your greatest star doing perhaps the most important thing you could ever have in the history of your game and have labor disputes? It, it seems, you know, unconscionable to me. Well, that, that that's probably why, because you the players now had leverage. So, <laughs> I mean, that's why work stoppages happen. Hey, yeah, touche, man. Great point. Yeah. yeah um, but yeah, to, the, to the point that he was making, which I, I, this is the argument that, you know, is, is forever. Oh, 6-0 in the finals, therefore the greatest. It doesn't compare to someone who goes and loses and so forth. And I, I just disagree with that only because at no point when we were playing the Pistons in 89 or 90 where we were like, well, thank God we lost because we wouldn't want to have gone to the finals and lost to the Lakers. I'm like, no, you want to keep playing and you want to keep winning. And then you, I'm a big fan of you give everything you can, every second you can, as hard as you can. You don't stop because you can't have your coach. And as much as I was frustrated with with Kraus and that whole ending, they didn't want him to leave. They just said, we're not rehiring Phil Jackson. And this is where I kind of give the tip of the hat to LeBron. LeBron has taken more crappy coaches to the finals than anybody on the planet he just keeps going and going and going and you can call it chasing rings and of course it is but jordan put the the ring count this high he you know you, you've kind of made made these new people do this but i i like i i wish they had kept going and pushed and pushed and pushed till their legs broke but on the jordan three-peat thing i mean there's no it, it, the, the reason the first, second three-peat is better than everything for me is that well could he do it again he, he went to baseball. He's not the same player. He can't jump the same way. He was so doubted going into that. And then he won it once like, oh, yeah, but you're never going to win it three like you did when you were younger. And then he did it again. And I just love that, Jordan. I just love that. Can't jump as high, but I find a way. And I'm still dominant. I just dominate you a different way. I love it. I love everything about it. We're talking minimum eight, Pete. Mike, hop in. <laughs> All right. but... Abai is totally correct because, I mean, even more simply, Jerry Krause was the common enemy. And when yeah. you can band against a common enemy like the Bulls did, that that invigorates the rest of the team, right? So I think, no, for many different reasons, we can thank Jerry Krause for both good and bad. The other interesting thing is and we talk about all these coincidences, right? Like the fact that Portland somehow passed on Jordan and all these different coincidences. But also, we kind of have to thank 
Major League Baseball for potentially allowing Jordan to return. Because we have to remember they had a lockout themselves the year that Jordan returned. So who knows how much longer, you know, Jordan didn't want to, he did not want to cross the picket line. So that's where he, he had to stop playing baseball. So had there not been a lockout that year, who knows how much longer he would have kept going with baseball. So once again, the, the, these kind of weird circumstances that have like allowed Jordan to, you know, become Michael Jordan. But again, who, who knows, who knows if he would even be on, if there would even be a team to do a second three Pete had baseball not gone into a lockout that year. Well, and Mike, we've done this bit before too. Who knows if he wins three more titles, if he doesn't train all summer shooting space jam in a, in a gym with uh, all of his NBA buddies, yeah. you know what I mean? He really gets back to the top of his game. It's time to vote on this one. This seems pretty straightforward. I'm going to go first. Obviously second three Pete Trump's rookie Jordan. Uh, we work in line. We work in linear time here in this game called life. So I'm, I'm going with the end on this one. Adam, real quick. Where are you voting? Absolutely. Second three Pete. Second three Pete two oh bye. Yeah, second three, Pete. Yeah, three zero. We got a clean sweep, Mike. Yeah, just so you guys know, there it's typically a lot of tiebreakers, and we have a ton of tiebreaking games. So there's been a lot of lopsided matchups in this. Yeah. Uh, but yes, clean sweep. It's second three, Pete, for me as well. I don't think we're getting a clean sweep in this next round here. This is first three, Pete Jordan versus medium mogul Jordan. Man, they're kind of like they're almost like one and the same. Mike, uh, open it up right here. <laughs> well, for me, it it. You know, my tendency is, as, as you guys have overheard throughout this pod, is that it's the overall impact, right? What Michael accomplished on the court spanned 15 years. And again, we can talk about records. We can talk about accolades. We can talk about championships. But that's a finite time for most athletes, right? But what he has impacted literally globally is 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 a lifetime achievement and and now as we're seeing as we've kind of alluded to whether it is kind of unfortunately his appearance at the kobe memorial whether it is you know the last things whether it's it's these things that keep coming back up and like again like there are only possibly two other athletes who have ever had that much of a cultural impact and that's you know that's babe ruth that's muhammad ali but he's in a rarefied air where like he has he has literally transcended sports. I'm I'm leaning towards retirement Jordan only because it's uh I'm sorry, media mogul Jordan only because of his overall continued impact in pop culture. Yeah, let me just say I think I'm gonna play devil's advocate here because I agree with everything Michael just said. Um media mogul Jordan put the pressure on first three Pete Jordan to to a degree that was Mm. Uh, unbelievable right the reason that first championship was so huge was because all the doubters were like okay you're selling every product on the planet and your shoes and you're the scoring champ and but you haven't won anything you know like that pressure we don't remember it because we've always thought of jordan as the best of the best right but no there was a time there where he'd been in the league for seven years and had never won anything <laughs> so that first three, Pete, is really just this culmination of, I showed you, you guys raised the bar, you put me up into this stratosphere, and I came out on top and did it three times in a row, and then I walked away because I didn't need you anymore. <laughs> like, it's just such a pimp move, what he did in that first three, Pete. So, I mean, I am absolutely leaning towards Media Mogul only because it, it incorporates the entire career, Right. But boy, does, is that first repeat pretty special. We got cases for both sides here. Abai, which way are you leaning right now? I know the 93 season's not a fun one for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
this this whole thing kind of like if are we talking about the greatest jordan are we talking about my personal favorite because if we're talking about how i feel personally first three p jordan is my least favorite jordan you know (laughs) i I can i can go into the details of the tour of the of the series that he just you know tortured the knicks the knicks were up 2-0 and then jordan and i'm like oh we finally getting over the hump and then jordan comes in and destroys us anyways but there's, I think there's one main point here that's when you're having this, this discussion of these two media mogul versus first three-peat, and, and Michael Jordan said this in the interview, uh, there is no media mogul Jordan if he's not winning. Clearly, the mo- to me, the most important thing is that he's an incredible basketball player and he's winning because without that, nothing else is happening. So I, I, would, I would go first three-peat Jordan because that's peak uh, Jordan basketball. I mean, let's just like, let's just be honest here. Like we're four grown men here. I mean, Michael Jordan's a handsome motherfucker. Like he, he's a good looking, <laughs> like truly though. You know what I mean? Good looking, incredibly charming dude who also just so happens to be this incredibly, you know, generationally talented basketball right. player makes the bald thing look cool. You know what I mean? Where's the biker shorts, you know, makes that look cool. All of a sudden I buy hop back in. Goatee Jordan, who you mentioned earlier is an underrated Jordan look. I feel like that's when he looked his meanest. I really see Jordan is like, whoa. So, anyways, go ahead. Sorry. You're like, damn. I'm I, and look, here's my only thing. I'm just as torn as you guys, but the first three P Jordan, man, I mean, you've just got these moments here. You got him taking on magic, right? You've got him, you know, going up in the ASNO, I don't know, and going up with his other arm. You got that iconic moment there. For me personally, that second season, that 92 season, is so underrated, in my opinion. Jordan plays some of the best basketball of his career. He absolutely rips through the playoffs, and then he gets to Portland. And that shrug game, man, I mean, so that's when we learn about the zone. I don't even know if the zone was created until Michael Jordan popped, you know, whatever, 35 in the first half against the Blazers. And then they started going into, you know, somehow the basket looks bigger and all this other stuff. And then what does he do for that three-peat? He comes back. That Knicks series almost killed me at the age of 10. You know what I'm saying? Like, seriously, you guys took up that 2-0 lead. And that, re- that, re- real quick, I just always – Jordan was awful in game three. Pitman oh, my God. Game, so, yeah, Starks dunks oh, stunk, dunks over us. I mean, the crowd goes wild. You're like, wow, man, this is this is maybe the end of the road. This is the turning of the tide, right? And then you got the Charles Smith game in there. You've got Jordan winning an SB that season off of the strip, and then he chases down McDaniel. And then that was the first time in my life in that game seven, where I just said to myself, Jordan will not be denied. And from that point on, you know, through the rest of the 96, 97, 98 championship years, I just kind of like wrote on that. Like it was almost like watching a movie where like the hero isn't going to die in the end. He's just going to figure it out. And then he did. It, it, it's just such a hard thing that, and clearly like we're so spoiled as Bulls fans. Well, that's, that's the feeling from the other end is like, we're not going to do this. Jordan's going to take over. He's going to figure it out. That's the one thing that I feel like when I compare him and LeBron is that I don't get, I love LeBron. He's incredible. I don't get that feeling of like with Jordan, you're like, you know where this is ending. And he always, he always like did it. He never, you know, he know he always lived up to it. And you, you don't get that feeling with anyone or I haven't got that with anyone else. No. Yeah. You just kind of tip your cap, right? Tom Brady's like that now. Like, let's be honest. Tom Brady just kind of sort of finds a way. Kobe, I felt like that was, you know, towards that kind of that end run there is this man, he's just going to will his way to victory. Media mogul lifts his mystique up to this level sometimes that is just, 
uh, it's amazing. And we kind of forget that Phil Jackson's kind of a good coach. And, uh, you know, uh, Scotty Pippen's one of the best all-around players that ever played. Wait, Mike, uh, final thoughts, and then we got to put in a vote. No, no, I, I am I am ready to vote. Here's my thing. And again, it, it goes to his overall relevance. And so for me, it's still, still got to be Media Mogul Jordan. Media Mogul Jordan. We got one vote here. Uh, Adam, we're going to go to you next, man. Where are you going? Man, this is a coin flip for me. I, I still think... Because the first three-peat is only three years and media mogul Jordan is 20, 30 years. Like, I, it, it's media mogul Jordan. Two nothing. Just, Bye. What, what do you got? Yeah, got to go with first three-peat Jordan. Just, you know, torturing the Knicks. And and then on top of that, like, again, I feel, still feel like if he wasn't winning, there's no media mogul. So I'm going first, first three-peat. Mike. Dude, we got one more tie, dude. I'm going first 3P Jordan against the Suns in the 93 finals. 41 points a game, 8.5 rebounds, 6.3 assists, 33 shots a game, 51% from the field. That is pretty impressive. Like, oh, but more importantly, that means we have a tie, right, Joey? We have another yeah. tie. So we have another tie-breaking game. This time, this one is for you, Abai. As a diehard Knicks fan, uh, we designed this specifically for you. So we call it Six Degrees oh, wow. of Separation, which is based around the premise that everyone is connected to everyone else on the planet by no more than six people. So with that in mind, seven players have played with both Michael Jordan and Patrick Ewing during their career, not counting the Olympics. As an example, Joey kind of mentioned earlier that, you know, Charles Oakley and Bill Cartwright were directly traded for one another in 1988. So of the remaining five players, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to name me at least one player who played with both Michael Jordan and Patrick Ewing, not on the Olympic team. Are you ready? Wait, we're not, we're not taking Oakley and Cartwright? Yeah, so you, uh, those, those are off the board. So there are five remaining players, and all you need to do is name one of them. All you need oh to do God. is name one of them. So 30 seconds. You can just start spitballing names. The clock starts now. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm first of all, terrible with names, but let's see. Um, I want to get this, too. I'm thinking about this one too. With Michael Jordan and Patrick Ewing. I'll give you a hint with one. It occurred when Ewing, uh, two of them occurred when Ewing was actually on the Orlando Magic. You have oh, 10 seconds. That doesn't help at all. Uh, <laughs> was one of those, those big guys weren't around when those, the two tall guys weren't around with Jordan. I don't, this is too hard. I would have said Oakley and Cartwright right away, but I don't. <laughs> and that <laughs> is time. That is time. You're going to say it and I'm going to be like, oh, yeah. I'm prepared. So uh, as you, as we kind of first, again, it's uh, Charles Oakley and Bill Cartwright were the obvious ones, but Pete Myers and Trent Tucker were Pete also both, <laughs> were both on the Bulls and Trent the Tucker? Knicks. And then here, here's, here are the two that are super surprising. As I alluded to, uh, they were teammates with Ewing during his final year on the Orlando Magic. It was Horace Grant and Judd Bushler. Oh God, oh, Horace Grant. Yeah, that, that one I, sh- I probably should have got. Judd That's Bushler, so- yeah. Coached for the Knicks too for a while, so yeah. Anyways. So that right. means, unfortunately, media mogul Jordan defeats first three P Jordan and moves into the finals. That's fantastic. I love this. I love this. I mean, first three P's amazing, but yeah, here we are, man, in the finals. Media mogul Jordan versus ninety six ninety eight Jordan. This is what is meant to happen. This is how it's supposed to go. Final round, Mike, my friend creator of Rectology, you were going to kick it off here. Once again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but my thing is about, you know, evolution. My thing is about, you know, global impact. So the one thing that we haven't really mentioned in terms of three P, second 3P Jordan was the fact that 
he really changed his game. I mean, right? Even with the first three-peat, he was still just this indomitable athletic force. He was just willed himself physically. I'm going to dominate you physically. And it wasn't until maybe the latter part of that first three-peat and then definitely with the second three-peat that he kind of refined his game skill-wise. You know, we have to remember that now, I mean, to me, and again, I don't, I don't know if this is a deep dive in terms of like basketball nerdism, but you can't tell me that there is a more iconic shot than Jordan's, you know, fadeaway turnaround. I mean, maybe the sky hook, maybe George Gervin's, you know, finger roll, but that, that turnaround fadeaway is, is so iconic. And that is a skill shot that he honed in. And that literally became, you know, an unstoppable shot. And, you know, as Adam knows, who was also a Kobe fan, like that was a shot that Kobe emulated from Jordan's repertoire. So again, this, this constant evolution that Jordan has always done and then redefined and then redefined again and again, both on the court and off the court. So, you know, that, that second three-peat is, I mean, I think that encapsulates everything there is to be said about Michael Jordan, both on the court, off the court, and mentally. And of course, counterpunch, right, for media mogul Jordan, the second greatest shot of his career is with five monsters on him from half court as his uh, arm <laughs> extends all the way for the dunk, correct? That's the second one? Oh, cool. uh, Adam, hop in. Uh, the second three-peat Jordan is what gives the man six finals MVPs. That is such a big number, and we don't think Kobe's got two. The second three-peat to me is what is why he's the GOAT or in the GOAT argument and why everybody's chasing him forever. Have he, I mean he rate he he put he set the bar, then leaves and comes back. He's like, Oh, I gotta meet the bar that I already did. I mean, it's almost unbelievable that he did it twice, having to completely change his game with all of that pressure. And again, six finals MVPs. I, it, it's just, it's, no one's done it. No one's come close. Really. I mean, LeBron's the closest with four, uh, you know, but my goodness, I just, that's just such an amazing stat that I, to me, that's just epic beyond, that's Brady levels of epicness. Um that that eclipses the media mogul to me. That's that's where it's bigger than anything. Abai, you're pretty close uh, to one of these categories here. Which way are you lean in on this one? Media mogul Jordan versus second three peat. If we're talking about a basketball perspective, I almost think that the first three peat, to me, it was was a better Jordan than the second three peat. I think the second three peat was more of a a team thing, and I think Pippen. I actually think in the last dance we could have gave Pippen a little more credit to some degree. I remember seeing a shot that was in the, in the last season in the playoffs against the jazz that we didn't use just because it was getting it finished was so, so crazy. But there was a moment where um, they're in the huddle and, and a lot of the guys on the team say, Oh, it was, it was co-captains, you know, it was Michael and Scotty. And in my mind, I was always like, it was Michael, like, come on, Scotty was there, but seeing a couple times in the huddle, during a timeout, I remember that there's a couple of times where Scotty was uh, was talking to Michael, like, you know, gi like giving him like, hey, man, you should have been over here during this point. Like, you're, you're this this is not what are you doing over here? You're, you should be here. And Michael wasn't like angry. Michael was like, oh, you're right, Scotty. You know, like that's yeah, yeah sorry about that. And it, and it was a, a, a interesting dynamic to see that. Oh, these guys are on the same level in the huddle. That That's my takeaway from seeing that footage, which. So to my point, to that point, I, I think first three Pete Jordan is, is a more impressive basketball player, player and the second three Pete Jordan is a better team. You know, that, that super team, that first year is like the best Bulls team of all time. 
Uh, so I'm having trouble. I don't know. Medium. I have some problems with media. Jordan. There's some, I think he has some, uh, Beans? mustaches. What, what? No, there's some criticism for this, you know, that's, that's some of it's over, over too much. Some of it is, is he deserves it for, you know, social issues, you know, uh, all those kind of things. So, and he's getting better at it, but Anyways, I don't know. I'm just going back and forth in my head. I don't. I, it's, I don't have an answer yet. I'm, I'm still. Real quick, wait, 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 wait. He's got info. He's got inside information. This is bullshit. He's seen stuff we haven't <laughs> seen. He's got a whole conversation with Scotty and Jordan that we never saw. That's bullshit, man. That's not fair. <laughs> it's. It's. Yeah. There. There's a couple of things that I have on a hard drive that I will never show. <laughs> Wow, that is awesome. Unless they're sitting right here at my computer that, you know. That that, is amazing. That is amazing. You just won game two. two. You're feeling good. I'll sign an NBA. You can, you can, you can handcuff me and tie me up and just let me see well, it. No, I would say that that the one thing that I, that I, in the, when I watched it, I was like, I wish we could have squeezed that in was seeing Pippin interact with Jordan and the other guys, especially later in that second three P where I was like, damn, Pippen is, he's, he's an equal to Jordan in the locker room. Well, and you know, to Abai's point earlier, like none of this is possible, whether it's retirement Jordan, whether it's media mogul Jordan, whether it's any of these off the court endeavors without the first three P in this case, without the second three P, right? Like literally we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast because there probably would theoretically not be a last dance docuseries without the second three feet. There yeah. would not be meeting Michael without that second three feet, Jordan. Right. I mean, uh, there probably would have been a meeting Michael because he would have still been playing without the championship at the time that you saw the game. But in essence, those things only happen because of the second three feet. And to, I was going to say the go second ahead, three feet is the cementing of all yeah. of it. Cause a lot of yeah. people had three, right? Yeah. Like about six. I mean, it was just so over. He just said, I'm the best. 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 And, and he, it, it just never, it, it's yeah. stunning. It's just, think about. Yeah. I'm going to n- unload the clip here on uh, second three Pete Jordan here. All right. <laughs> 203 to 43. That's his record in those three years. 203 wins, 43 losses. All right. Find a different era where there's anything else. And I'll go back to the last dance. My favorite part of the last dance, honestly, is that moment when he loses to the Magic in 95. Because as a kid, again, I've talked all about, you know, Jordan fulfilling this destiny, being the hero, literally, you know, torn out of real life and into the fantasy land of he can never do anything wrong. And this is the first time that he fails. And little Joey is in bed crying his eyes out that night thinking we're never going to win again. The or the air is over. Jordan isn't Jordan anymore. Now you know how I felt for a fucking decade. (laughs) (laughs) You wish Patrick Ewing was doing? You wish Patrick Ewing was going to his trainer, Tim Grover, going, no, man, I'm going to see you tomorrow morning. We're going to the gym, and we're going to work this thing out, and I'm going to come back. And then the 96 season, when they win 72 games, they get Rodman and stuff, is literally like the montage in Braveheart when he starts going around just collecting heads, right? I mean, it's the montage when – in the baseball movies when the team's playing good again. I mean, it literally is a reckoning across the NBA. It's just really incredible. I, I'm a second three-peat guy. I kind of walked into it thinking second three-peat. Yeah. And I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we're in the finals. Media mogul's super huge for me. But, man, that second three-peat, dude. I'm riding my bike around, you know, in the middle of the night. Fireworks are going off in my neighborhood. I mean, it was just such a special time to grow up and be a sports fan. I, I, I think media mogul would have shifted – if he had had one three-peat, went to baseball, and never came back. 
I think that would have gone like this, right? It would have been, oh, remember the, that in the early 90s when Jerk, that second three-peat turned him into a god. And, you know, 25 years later, we're still going, yeah, nothing's coming close. But I, I do think we have to remember Jordan didn't have some of the pressures that they have now. I mean, it's a crazy different world, man. Uh, so, but I, we, I think we all have our choices now, maybe not a buy, but <laughs> I got my choice. Yeah. I, I think this is a formality, Joey, but I think we should proceed to the voting. What do you say? I'm going second three Pete. Mike, what do you got? It's the second three Pete. And let, let's be honest. This only benefits Michael Jordan wins the end, right? Because as we know of Michael Jordan, media mogul Jordan will only use this as motivation to become a bigger media mogul and he'll probably be president in five years, right? So oh, I'm, I'm, very uh, yeah, certain, so, I'm certain Jordan's watching this podcast going, what am I going to do? Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So this is only motivation for media mogul Jordan. Uh, about where are you at second three Pete or media mogul Jordan? Uh, for the win, I'm going with Space Jam, Jordan. I'm coming, <laughs> coming out of left field. No, I'll go second three, Pete. Yeah, for all the reasons we've talked about. Jordan said it was the hardest one for him to win, and there's no media mogul without the basketball. Yeah, and it brought it brought on the Last Dance series, the Emmy-nominated series uh, for its editing as well. Adam, uh, wrap us up, man. Are you going second three, Pete? 4-0. Yes, second three, Pete, for sure. And again, let's also remember, we weren't sure he was coming back. I mean, he was done when he was playing baseball. We were really like, man, is that really how this is going to end? Goddamn. Uh, that's really surprising. Like when he said I'm back, it was news. Like it was the second chance to appreciate what we didn't appreciate as much as we should have the first time. It was special. Yeah. And fun, fun little side story. My aunt in the 90s dated Ron Schuler, the general manager of the White Sox um, all through the 90s. And so I got a lot, I got a bunch of stories, all this other stuff. And she actually got me, he got me a Jordan signed baseball, which is really cool. But I tell you, man, did I run the ball, the tires bald on asking him almost every single day, not how is Mike hitting, but is Mike, is he tired of it? <laughs> is, right. is he done? done? Is he is done he with this? <laughs> I mean, I like the stolen bases and stuff. He's driving and runs. When, uh, are we good? Are we good on this? You know, and it was, you're right, man. It was such an interesting time. And again, almost like a movie. I remember the day. The I'm back. The, I remember the day that he retired as much as I remember the day that he did the I'm back. I remember what I remember where I was in my car on the driveway when the sports babe said it and I slammed the top of my I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. Him coming back was the one of the biggest memories of my life. I was playing baseball in the backyard, came in the garage. My mom popped out like we won the lottery and she was like, You won't believe it. And you know, I, I shot through the roof, man. Never yep. forget, never forget. Uh full sweet, man. Um, you guys, Mike, uh, final thoughts before we get our final thoughts from the panel, man. This was super fun. I, you know, I think we've said it all. I want to thank Adam for being on. I want to thank Abai for being on. You guys were amazing. And both your insights from your personal projects pertaining to Michael Jordan were, were amazing to listen to. The stories would have been great. Like like Joey said, we could have probably listened to you guys for another two hours plus. But thanks again. And I, yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun going down memory lane yet again on the life and legacy of Michael Jordan. Uh, this is the dorkiest thing I've ever done. <laughs> this is up there, man. I mean, we just had a two-hour conversation about what version of a human we like the most. <laughs> I mean, dude, only Jordan, dog. (laughs) It feels so good. Um, Bye, man. Final thoughts, man. Um, Great perspectives. Obviously, you brought uh, your your work alone, obviously, coming in gives us also a great context for everything. And you're also a great sport, too, as well, because 
you know, we've hammered it so many times, man. But I mean, it, it was a different tale for you in the 90s. But yeah, I hope you guys realize how lucky you were and you appreciate what you had <laughs> there for so long. I feel like you guys could, Chicago could not win anything for the next 50 years and you should still be happy just because that was so incredible. And yeah, no, we're, <laughs> we're spoiled for life. You guys, thank you so much for coming on. This was Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos presenting another edition of Bracketology Tournament Edition with our creator in Hoops Honcho, Mike Choi. Thank you so much for listening to this pod. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Make sure you go to that website. You get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. That's kind of nice and it's free to sign up. Thank you so much for listening to this pod. We got plenty more coming. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. We will talk to you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.